I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. In today's episode, we're discussing Pearl Jam's Light Years off of their 2000 album, Binaural. I should probably confess that I am a huge Pearl Jam fan <laughs> and, and there will be no way that I can really like hide it or mask it or. Yeah. I, I don't think anyone is expecting this podcast uh, in general to be like a, a non-biased thing. Like I feel like we should wear our fandom on our sleeves. And as a person who has known you for a very long time, way too long, actually, um, I can say without a doubt that Pearl Jam is one of Jason's favorite bands of all time, if not your favorite band of all time, period. So. It's, it's certainly one of my favorites, and I, I, as much as there are other bands that I love, I find myself listening to Pearl Jam quite a bit. <laughs> and also, when you know you start hearing rumors of tours, I, I do start salivating yeah. immediately. Yeah, you are you are a true Pearl Jam fan, and and it's interesting doing this episode when 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 we were planning out these episodes and and figuring out what we wanted to do first, and uh, you know it was natural that we were going to do a Pearl Jam one because you're such a huge fan. And uh, I was kind of feeling a little nervous because I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to have anything to input here because I myself am, am a Pearl Jam fan, but much more on a casual level than, than you. M- um, much more manageable. Yeah, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about Pearl Jam and like the history of the band and where they're coming from and work our way up to talking about this, this terrific song light years off of binaural. Okay. So, I mean, there's a great history of this band, but I think where we'll start with is 10. Um, I mean, the band has a lot of history before that other incarnations, um, mother love bone green river yeah finding any better find, working find, at a gas station yeah, like yeah. all these legendary so, so, so there's a, there's a lot of history here but but what we're going to start with is 10 yeah and 10 is a massive album it, and, one and of the most massive there, there's really no way to explain or uh really convey just how huge this album was at yeah. the time. So I was, it's 1991. So I was, uh, eight, I was eight years old when this came out. And even as an eight year old, I, it was unescapable. Like, I mean, it, you couldn't turn on the radio. You couldn't turn on MTV. You couldn't go to a store, let alone a record store without seeing this album, like on the shelf, ready to go. And I mean, I, I don't know, we don't have the figures in front of us, but it was 10 million copies at least, you yeah. know, went, went and, immediately. Yeah. I mean, there's huge hits. It's even flow alive, Jeremy yeah. black. Yeah. I mean, just, it's, it's, just, yeah. The whole album is a string of radio singles that to this day are played ad nauseum on on every major rock station across the United States. And and, and now classic rock stations. And now classic rock stations, but we're not going to talk about that. But no, I mean, this this album, 10, was 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 enormous. And uh, almost almost too enormous. Like, it it really it really set them up for, um, for disappointment, I think, because no matter what they ever did, they were never going to get bigger than they started. Yeah, is, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it went from zero to 60, where this album comes out, you know, they're, they're, 
touring and the venues are, you know, small places that they're playing and they're just packed. Yeah. And then finally going on the Lollapalooza tour the following year in 1992 and just gigantic crowds. And then finally they recorded a follow-up on 1993 versus which ended up being almost as huge. Yeah. I mean, they, they sold like a million copies in a week. Yep. Uh, again, you have another slew of radio hits. Um, Go, Animal, a Daughter, Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town. Which most like, people don't know by the title, but yeah. if you heard the song, you, you would you immediately would, yeah. recognize it. So, I mean, they somehow, even though they managed to, you know, they managed to still get bigger. Yeah. And so, it's just crazy. Like, 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 I mean, when people look back on the 90s and the rock scene and the grunge scene or whatever, I mean, we always talk about Nirvana and we always talk about Kurt Cobain and his death and suicide and everything. But but really, like, Pearl Jam, as far as, like, sheer numbers go and the sheer gargantuan size of their catalog and their radio hits, Pearl Jam is, like, the reigning king. Like, mm. when it comes down to who is the biggest 90s rock band of all time, no question it is Pearl Jam. Yep. And uh, they started taking things a little bit differently with verses i think keeping in mind kind of how big things were getting and how quickly they were getting there so they they had done a few videos for 10 uh and then had kind of sworn off making music videos even and, and even though the video for jeremy is one of the greatest music videos of all time yep and a really iconic video and they just said nope we're not doing that to to promote ourselves that way um really started grappling i think with their fame very early on. I think a lot of bands, you know, get famous, you know, things are going really well. And then there's probably some kind of crisis that causes some self-evaluation period to take place. And it seems like Pearl Jam has been one of the few really self-aware bands where I think they, they, they communicate. I mean, they, they talk and they kind of know where they're at. And I think that's a lot of the reason that um, they're, one of their drummers, the drummers is a whole nother yeah, story whole to begin story with. There. <laughs> um, but their drummer, um, Dave Abruzzi, who drummed for most of the 10 tour, had drummed on Verses and that tour, had drummed on the Vitology album, and then was... Was kicked was out. Was unceremoniously well, thrown out. Of yeah, the, he was the, kicked out. And he wasn't even the first drummer, right? There were... There no, was, there, 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 there had been other drummers been other that drummers. had various issues. Yeah, some some right. were substance abuse. Another drummer left because he joined like the Saturday Night Live right, yeah. band. Um, so, there, I mean, there had been other issues in the past. So, it wasn't like this was a... A, a founding A member. monumental mm-hmm. shift. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, still... Tough. A, a, an issue. And a lot of... As I mentioned, a lot of the communication self-awareness was... You know, the reason David Bruzy ended up being kicked out of the band or, or whatever happened was him and Eddie Vedder basically not seeing eye to eye. David Bruzy was someone who kind of enjoyed the spotlight and enjoyed the fame. Yeah. And Pearl Jam were kind of trying to control and rein in um, how they were perceived and the things that they were expected to do as a big famous rock band and the things they wanted to do. Right. Um, and you can also hear a little bit of that tension on the Vitology album where um, a lot of the tracks on the first two albums are, it's a lot of Stone Gossard, the rhythm guitarist, and Jeff Ment, the bassist, who are really the driving forces for the musical songwriting. Yeah. And suddenly, on Vitology, Eddie Vedder was kind of stepping up to the plate as more of a, a central songwriter, yeah. um, not only lyrically, but also contributing musically. Yeah. Um, so it was this kind of tense moment for the band, um, considering they had gotten so huge at this point, 
Uh, so to bring in someone with some experience, they brought in Jack Irons, who had previously drummed for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I think he was in some sort of state of semi-retirement um, and said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll come out and tour with you. Um, Vitology touring behind that album was also an issue of itself because of the big Ticketmaster right. um, which, which debacle. You, which was unavoidable. But if, if people are listening that do not know, um, Eddie Vedder actually went to court and tried to get Ticketmaster to stop putting so many heavy fees on to ticket purchases. And it was not successful. So in response, Pearl Jam stopped selling tickets through Ticketmaster. Bo- boycotted for, boycotted, boycotted Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. Um, which essentially meant that they couldn't play like something like 80% of the venues throughout the United States because they were all either owned or have exclusive contracts with Ticketmaster. So it was really... A, a true representation. I mean, you know, having lived in the '90s and the '90s rock music scene and being a musician in that time period, playing in bands and whatever. Like, I mean, the, the '90s time period was such a unique time for for musicians as far as like sticking it to the man. I mean, mm. it, it it was a time where where the more you stuck it to the man, the more counterculture you were, the more popular you became. I mean, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, the well, as Pumpkins. you mentioned, yeah, why Kurt Cobain was, yeah, because yeah, you mean, would famously not care yeah he just didn't care and so it's like the more anti the establishment you were the more popular you became unlike today where it's like if you're anti-establishment at all like i don't even know like do they even do they even sign artists (laughs) that are anti-establishment anymore you know it's like i can't imagine anyone signing a rage against the machine these days you know Mm. so like pearl jam was they they really they stuck to their convictions this was i mean no no gesture of true honesty could be made more than you know Biting the hand that feeds, uh, you know, and saying like Ticketmaster, you're not going to play by our rules, so we're going to go somewhere else. And uh, you know, it it was it was it was headlines. People who didn't even know anything about Pearl Jam or the music industry were reading about this this fight. It was like a David and Goliath kind of thing. So. Yeah, and and in taking on Ticketmaster, I mean, they ended up demonstrating in that fight they were pretty unsuccessful in trying to mount a tour yeah i mean they they had all kinds of issues trying to basically have makeshift venues to put on their shows and clearly it indicates if this is one of the biggest rock bands at the time yeah and they can't even operate without the Ticketmaster apparatus right they obviously Ticketmaster has has a stranglehold on yeah clearly we have a monopoly situation that we need to acknowledge but of course today you know Ticketmaster is still alive and well and still charging exorbitant fees on all their tickets so um it's really kind of shameful that that you know it didn't go anywhere it didn't go anywhere but uh, even when somebody like Pearl Jam is 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 you know at at the helm yeah I think they expected more bands to kind of jump on with them and kind of mount this offensive against Ticketmaster and it just ended up sinking the band yeah um, so I think at that point, again, this is a band that constantly does some soul searching. Um, they came back in 1996 with no code, um, which is a more subdued and experimental album in some ways. There's definitely still some rock tracks in there. Um, but it's definitely a departure and some people intimate that possibly Pearl Jam did this on purpose to kind of lessen the fan base a little bit kind yeah. of kind of weed out the more casual listeners like me make, yeah, yeah. <laughs> make, but but try to make themselves a bit more manageable where they're like okay we don't want to be playing in these types of venues or we don't want cameras in our face all the time yeah you know maybe if we just kind of do our own thing we'll, you know, we'll not, not call that some of the audience yeah i yeah. mean following a little bit in the footsteps of this was also in between vitology and no code 
um, the the instrumental lists of, of Pearl Jam had done an album with Neil Young. Yeah. And I think they kind of adopted the Neil Young philosophy of I, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing yeah. and I don't care if I have, anyone I have that luxury. Yeah. I don't, I literally don't have to care about releasing music that is going to be popular to a certain sector of people. I don't have to care about making a certain amount of money off of my records to make sure I get through the day. I, you know, like they're, they're rich, they're wealthy, they're popular. Their name is Pearl Jam. Any record they release is going to sell. Any tour they do is going to do well. So why, why try and work? Yeah you know, against that, why not just accept it and start doing what we want to do. And, uh, and there's tons of precedence for this. Like you said, Neil Young and, and Prince, you know, did the same yep. thing. You know, it's like lots of people have done this before. So Pearl Jam, you know, like you said, are self-aware enough. They're like, no, this is what we need to do. It's yeah. just, you don't normally see it in a, in a big rock band that only has three albums yeah, at, right, at yeah. this point to make that, you know, but with, with, the, with, so with how but the, the, it just brings you right back to just reminding you like how huge 10 was like mm. 10 was the debut record that went, you know, crazy multi-platinum setting them up as being like this big band, like overnight, you know, I mean, obviously there was a lot of touring and it was a slow build for them. It wasn't just like they released the record and they were mega stars. Yeah. But, but like, you, you, when you compare them to something like REM, yeah. where it, it took, you know, a, a decade. Yeah. Or, or Bruce Springsteen, yeah, yeah. it was four albums in before, he was even playing anything bigger than a club, you know. So yeah, it's like, as, as opposed to like, oh, we released one album. Oh, we're like, <laughs> oh, we're arena stars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it started a little bit of a period of experimentation for Pearl Jam. Their follow-up album Yield is also a little bit on the experimental side. Yeah, but you know, some still hits that I I, I think the the older fans you know still really enjoy. I mean, yeah. for me personally. You know, something like Do the Evolution and, Which, and Given a Fly. and Right. You know, Do the Evolution of, is is probably one of the weirdest radio hits ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird song. I mean, it's great. I love it. I think it's one of their best. But it's just, you know, just there's very, it, there's almost no melody. It's just him like kind of cackling. It's a, it's a, like, yeah, it's a, it's a riff with Eddie Vedder kind of yeah. growling over Eddie, it. Not, not that he doesn't often growl. So yeah, they're just they're just progressing and 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 almost doing the antithesis of what most bands do, which is like trying to rein their audience in, trying to be like, we want more audience, we need more, we need to make our tours bigger, we need, you know, we need to make more money, we need to sell more records. Whereas Pearl Jam at this time is like trying to actually actively push their fans away. Mm. And so after Yield, we finally get to this album by Norrell, which which features the song that we're going to cover today. And this is the first album that they've ever done that doesn't have a major radio staple song on it. Like none of the songs on this record are casual Pearl Jam listener songs that, you know, anyone would know. Whereas I I feel like at least one song off of every previous record, there's a song on there that if you played it for anybody who listens to rock radio, they'd be like, Oh, I know this one, but this not, not on this one. Yeah. I would easily call binaural definitely a fans record, right? you know, a fans only kind of record where, Yeah, the casual listener might have heard Nothing As It Seems was the lead single off of that, um, which, again, is kind of a weird tune. I mean, it's, it's 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 a rock song, but it's kind of in its own its own space. Um, and then that also brings us to um, our song that we're discussing for this episode, which is Light Years, which was actually the second single 
from this album, um, but we still chose to include it on here. It is on the Pearl Jam's greatest hits, so we, we do admit to that. Um, but it is rather low in um, number, on iTunes. It's number ninety-five. Yeah, number ninety-five uh, on the list. I feel like out of all the Pearl Jam songs that could, you know, I mean, there's a lot of albums here. What do they have? They have like you know nine albums here. Uh, no, sorry, ten albums. And you know, if you think there's uh, maybe I don't know, fifteen songs in each album, twelve to fifteen songs in each album, you really come up to this is probably in the bottom eight. Of yep. of all their of all their studio songs, so really this song is pretty low, even and, and especially a for a, something that was a single. Yeah, especially for something that was a lead single. So I think that it being so low justifies it as being like a skipped on shuffle uh, track. But um, but I mean, going back to like the reason that we do these these podcasts uh, is is it's criminal. Like this song is yeah it's is a, amazing. It's an amazing amazing song with an amazing message. Um, great melody. A really hooky chorus that you hear immediately and just like every other great Pearl Pearl Jam uh, radio hit song like it's immediately in your head like that melody just gets stuck there and uh, all the good things that that make a good Pearl Jam song you know what what they are and and for whatever reason it just it just just went under the radar yeah. so yeah um, but but yeah I think it's I think it's um, I think it's a it's a great song on a great album and I think it, it deserves a little extra extra focus Okay, so Binaural is Pearl Jam's sixth studio album. Um, so they had plenty of experience under their belt. And so I mentioned before that they were in this kind of period of experimentation with no code and yield. And this extended into um, Binaural, also where they get the album title right, um, so, from. That So, the, yeah, this, this, this Binaural, so this recording technique is... It, okay, so most people understand the difference between mono and stereo. Like you have your, your, your mono stuff is, is one mono one. And you know, there's one sound coming out of one speaker, you know, with everything all in there, your bass, drums, vocals, all in one thing, early recordings, like by, you know, like Elvis and buddy Holly and the beach boys, those kind of things are all mono recordings where it's just one thing. And then stereo comes along and now you have, you know, two speakers with like maybe the drums in one speaker and then the bass on another speaker and whatever. So, binaural is actually not referencing like how it sounds later, but how it's actually recorded. So like they actually take into account like how your head is shaped. So instead of just having sounds in one ear and sounds in another ear, they're taking into account like how your brain or, you know, perceives those sounds. So like, if you think about the human head, like we have two ears and then we have, you know, a skull, which is like, you know, hard bone. And then inside we have this like brain that's like big slop pile of muscles and whatever, you know, if you take that into account, all that stuff affects the timber of sound that enters into your ear uh, at any given time. And also like where the sound is coming from going into one ear and maybe it sounds bigger in one ear than it does in the other because, you know, the sound is closer to your right ear than it is to your left. Whatever the case may be, all this stuff gets taken into consideration with binaural recording. So what they actually do, and this is crazy fascinating, they actually 
set up like a dummy head, like a human head dummy, like looks like the top of a crash desk dummy. And it has this, the, the microphones in the head and that's how they record it. So like they're anticipating what your head is shaped like and, and made up of. And then that's how they record the actual sound. So, so this not only gives you a, a, a truer sound of what's actually being recorded, it actually gives you the ability to hear at what part of the room each thing is coming from. So if the re recording is made with the drums behind the head, then you're going to hear the drums in the back of your head rather than, you know, just in one ear or the other. So it's like this crazy, it's very complicated and very um, unique way of doing things. But, you know, like you said, like Pearl Jam was at this point in their career where they're like, we can do this. Like, well, let's, let's do this just for the hell of it, you know? Yep. And, and in doing it, uh, they're also kind of emphasizing, I think a couple things important to the band. One is, uh, analog recording and you know doing things kind of in an old school way um where you're not kind of digitally manipulating things i mean this is a band that you know prides themselves on releasing you know vinyl records of yep. all their albums and always they, have yeah, way, way yeah. before it was cool yeah they, they <laughs> you know they have a fan club single that's always you know a 45 that they come out with um so a lot of their um decision to do this comes out of a, a serious passion for how things are recorded. And I think one of the other things that's interesting about this binaural recording technique is everything's done live in the studio, single take kind of deal. There's yeah. not really a lot of room for overdubs or things if you're recording um, using this binaural technique. So it's kind of interesting, uh, a, a, a testament to Pearl Jam as a live band being able to play live in the studio and and getting these tracks down and releasing an album of it right which they then intend to be pressed on vinyl and also expect you to listen to through headphones, headphones. Yeah. um so it, it kind of interesting emphasizing a, a more solitary experience of pearl jam um in contrast to like these live shows with right. you know, what, thousands of people. What more, what better way to make a statement of we're don't give a shit about radio singles anymore guys, mm. you know, than releasing an album that is literally recorded specifically to be played in headphones, yeah. you know, by yourself, you know, it's like, you know, it really does testament, you know, as, as a testament to just like where they, where their headspace was when they were making mm. this recording. No, no pun intended. <laughs> the demo head. Um, so this album's also interesting um, in in terms of that live aspect because they had a, a, a yet another new drummer. Yep. Um, Matt Cameron came on board, who, uh, who you may who, recognize as being the drummer for Soundgarden. Yep, and he comes on board uh, for the Yield tour. Um, so L lore has it that he had three days to learn eighty something. Pearl Jam songs for that tour because they're they're constantly changing their set list every night. Right, and he's like, "Hold um, my so, beer, I got yeah, this." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so of course he, he's totally fine. Um, so it's interesting that this is the first time uh, Matt Cameron makes a, a, his appearance on a Pearl Jam album. Uh, who he would then become a permanent member of the band to and this day, right? And he has yeah. been with them, yeah, ever since, kind of solving that revolving door of, of Pearl Jam drummers. Um, so I think a little bit in, you know, the band moving forward, they're also kind of reestablishing themselves again because, you know, the, I, I think the, the individual drummers that Pearl Jam have had, have had a pretty big influence on, you know, the sound and style of those albums. Yeah. And when you get someone like Matt Cameron, who can, no, no offense to the other drummers, but somebody who's like a little bit more experimental and can kind of do, 
you know, a, a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, if anybody's ever heard any Soundgarden songs, it's, they are weird. It's insane time <laughs> signatures yeah. and just yeah, just crazy stuff. So, yeah. um, it's interesting to see the contribution uh, Matt Cameron starts to make on on this album. Yeah. In, including you know a, a soul songwriting credit. Right. Um, and I think that's really cool. That's one of the things I I I, I like and respect the most about Pearl Jam is how democratic they are with their band duties. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, each member plays their instrument primarily like, you know, maybe not, but I'm assuming that Matt Cameron doesn't like jump on, you know, and play guitar on a bunch of tracks or whatever, you know, so they're pretty much playing their distinctive instruments, but like the songwriting is, is very open. Like I feel like any member of Pearl Jam could come in and say, Hey, I have, you know, 10 demos. Let's listen to them. And chances are one of them is going to make the record. And so I feel like, I feel like Pearl Jam doesn't have that problem where, you know, maybe like a band member starts to get, they feel like they're not needed or mm. they feel like they're not necessary. To like a, a little bit of like the George Harrison situation where it's like, yeah. oh, you give me one song on, you know, right. each, each album and the rest is, you know, rest Lennon, is, and, you Lennon, know McCartney. Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like that kind of problem goes away because they just are able to be like, no, like you're, everybody's welcome to throw in their songs into the hat. And yeah, maybe most of the songs will be, Gossard, Amen, or, you know, and Vetter or whatever, you know, maybe that's where the bulk of it's going to be, but it, you know, everybody's going to have their fair shot. So I think that's, that's really cool. That's a cool way to, to like run a band. And it's not mm. an easy way to run a, run a band. You have five distinct personalities all trying to convene on one thing and you can get, it can get pretty messy. So, yeah. And that's what makes light year. So interesting is this is the one song on this album that was a collaborative musically a, a collaborative effort where you had um stone gossard mike mccready and eddie vetter basically hammering this the music for the song out um and it's also a very different kind of pearl jam the song where yeah. you mentioned before yeah it does have the the hooky pearl jamness because i mean they're masters at writing catchy riffs yeah um but we also get a kind of more introspective um somber subdued tone um on this record and especially on the song in particular yeah i think that um the song itself is so simple you know especially you know bringing it back to matt cameron like matt cameron is 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 a terrific terrific drummer and he can do anything you know there's very little that you could throw at matt cameron and he'd be like i can't do that you know and the song itself starts off light years starts off with a, a a four on the floor drum beat that that Eddie Vedder could have played. There's nothing really too extravagant about this song. And, uh, but it, that's, that's its appeal. Like that's kind of, it kind of brings it back to a very basic rock sound. And, and I think that, Pearl Jam, it's kind of like, yeah, we can do this too. Like, we don't have to make every song be like hmm. this, you know, big rock anthem or whatever. And we also don't have to be like weird, like a do the evolution kind of thing where it's like, we're just, we're in, we're experimenting just to experiment. They can actually just bring it back down to just like a straight up rock song that's just, you know, as basic as it gets. And I think that this song not only does that, but does it really, really well. And it makes you think like, you know, what what else can Pearl Jam do? You know, like what other directions can they can they take things in that maybe they're not taking things in because they haven't they haven't had the notion to yet. 
Yeah, and and in just talking about binaural in general, um, they had also brought in a different producer for this album. Um, their first five albums have been produced by Brendan O'Brien, who, if you're not familiar with him, he produced He's most of the Stone Level Pilots records, yeah. Rage Against, which has done a ton of albums. Um, so when Pearl Jam decided that they were going to do this recording technique, they brought in Chad Blake to help them record it, and he's someone else whose name appears all over the place, um, a lot of times more as a as a mixer, sometimes as a producer. Um, I, I think he's a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, Pearl Jam, with his album, ended up bringing uh, Brandon O'Brien back into the fold to help them uh, solidify some of the final mixes um, right. on this album to help I um from from what I understand help give it a little bit more of a, a rock edge yeah um than what they had come up with um so in thinking about how um this applies to light years as we mentioned it's a little bit of a, a stripped down track and um it's kind of heavy lyrically I mean this is a song that is about loss and death and putting life into perspective um which given you know the the aging rock star thing sometimes you start to incorporate new themes into your songwriting um and and i think this is one of those songs that shows pearl jam maturing not only musically but also you know lyrically and thematically and thinking about um you know life and um, yeah i think that um one of the things that 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 people who who maybe aren't like huge Pearl Jam fans but are aware of Pearl Jam, um, they 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 tend to uh, either lovingly or maybe even condescendingly mock the way Eddie Vedder sings, like you know the yeah. you know like that kind of thing, which was especially apparent on Ten. Um, people they they can't really understand what he's saying, you know, the, like and I feel like his his lyrical delivery is sometimes so muddled that it's kind of hard to understand what he's trying to get across to the listener at all. And I think it's a shame because with with this song in particular where where he's 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 pretty clear, you know, on this song you can understand what he's getting across, but I feel like this song in particular really showcases how phenomenal of a lyricist he really is. And uh and then if you go back and listen to some of the, you know, older Pearl Jam songs on, on the first four records, Records, um, you know, our first five records, you you can really tell like this guy's a great, great lyricist and writes really compelling stuff. And it's a shame that nobody understands yeah. what he's saying because he's saying some good stuff. And so it's great to hear this song and have his his vocals and his vocal delivery right up front and pretty pretty clear to get across this like I, I think really important and and beautiful sentiment about um I think you and I both agree is, is mostly just about the about death like mm. we 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 pretty much agree that this song is is a song about either death in general or the specific death of somebody close to Eddie Vedder um and you know to express these things so eloquently and so beautifully it's it's a shame that people aren't going to you know, understand that from the, from the get go. So, yeah. And, and I mean, when you think about Pearl Jam as so much of a live band, you can kind of, you know, picture where do you stick this in, in a set? Yeah. Cause, cause it's kind of going to mellow everybody out, maybe bum everybody out, <laughs> you know? So I, I mean, Pearl Jam is good at, you know, pacing a show to do that. Especially because um, their shows are so long. Yeah. I mean, uh, for, for those people who, maybe who don't know, a, a, a typical Pearl Jam show has no opening act and goes for at least three hours. Yeah, it, it's been, yeah, like nearly three-hour shows at this point. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they've played this song rather infrequently, which, you know, is a shame because it is, you know, such a beautiful song. And I think, 
again, getting back to like these lyrics of loss, it's kind of, um, it's an interesting turn for Eddie Vedder. And I think something that he really um, takes forward on um, his, his future songwriting on other Pearl Jam albums after this, um, where he writes a lot about mortality and loss and also that we're all, you know, given a finite amount of time and we need to, you know, show gratitude and express love and figure out what we should be doing with the time we have. So I think even though the song is kind of melancholy, it's, you know, a sad song. It's about death. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it is about death. Um, You know, I think at at the same rate, it's a little bit of, you know, not not quite the, you know, I'm still alive, but a, a, a more mature reiteration of that, that I'm, I'm still here and I, I'm figuring out how to deal with the fact that someone else isn't. Yeah. Um, and in coming to terms with that, I realized that I need to grow as a person and, and make the most of, you know, the, the, the time I have here. Yeah. And so like, you know, going back to your fandom, you, you've seen Pearl Jam live 30 plus times. I mean, yeah. you've seen them a lot and I've seen them once and, you know, you took me and, you know, it was, it was a great time and, and I had a, a blast going. Um, but one thing that I walked away from, uh, after my, my Pearl Jam experience with you is, is the unrelenting positivity of not only the crowd, but the band. Like this is a band that, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's remarkable that they're, they're, they're at the age that they are not, not like their, their physical age, but the age of the group itself, mm. you know, like the, the band, uh, they're at the age they are. And it's still like, they, they, they played Jeremy and they still like gave it their all, you know, it's like, you don't see yeah, very mo- many Yeah. Bands, most bands you, know? you figure would. You yeah. Know, they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to yeah, plow yeah. through Jeremy real quick. You don't know. No, it's like, you feel like they're putting the songs in the set because they still genuinely want to play them. And, uh, and yeah, I feel like. I feel like in this song particular, in light years, like even though the song is about death, it still has this like genuine positivity to it. And I feel like, you know, the band as a group, but especially Eddie Vedder, like he just has this like this overwhelmingly good outlook and overwhelmingly like everyone get together, everyone be good to each other. Let's all be friends kind of thing. But not in like that pretentious, like, you know, hippie bullshit kind of way, but in a genuine like, no, like seriously guys like we really need to be our each other's friends and work together through things i think it's really it was just an amazing experience to be surrounded by that many people all feeling that positive vibe Mm. and um and i think this song is a kind of true representation of how you could hand you know eddie vetter and say like write a song about the death of a close loved one and you'd be like all right and it'd still come out sounding positive Mm. (laughs) yeah i mean you definitely get the sense of that in here where um you know your lights reflected now reflected from afar we were but stones your light made us stars right i mean it's essentially your options it's like you can look at the bland stone or you can think of it in terms of some bright shining light that was you know a part of your life so you can choose to you know carry around a sad you know dull memory of someone or you can choose to you know, have them have been a star in your life, this, you know, bright shining example of something that, you know, somebody who taught you something or, um, you know, you had a great relationship with. I, I think it is, you know, taking taking stock of the relationships that are in our uh, in our lives and not holding back. I mean, there there is a line about, um, you know, save up on life. Um, you've got to spend it all. So he's saying, you know, don't hold back. Right. You, you you can't do that. You can't You're, take it with you. Yeah, you need to yeah. you need to use it all now while you can yeah. because you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. I think a lot of 
the beginning of his lyrics are um, kind of kind of an interesting little poetic um, riff on that where, you know, I've used hammers made out of wood. I've played games with pieces and rules. So he's kind of um, talking about like, oh, it's simple to understand some things. But yeah. when someone dies or leaves your life suddenly, it's not simple. It, it's not simple. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's hard to understand, but also at the same rate, you know, it, it is as simple as, um, you know, today just disappeared. Like it just, yeah, that's, you, you, this, you, is, it, this is how it happens. You know, like no one, I mean, in, in certain circumstances, you're anticipating the death of a loved one because of age or sickness or whatever. But in the vast majority of cases, it's just like one day someone's just dead, you yeah. know, and you have to sort of grapple with that. And you can, you know, you can look at it from a religious perspective of being like, oh, they've gone to a better place or, you know, you know, they, they're they're with God now or, or whatever. But uh, I'm pretty sure Eddie Vedder has declared himself as non-religious or possibly even a total atheist. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never quite sure. I mean, yeah. he, he really, some of his lyrics, I've been convinced like, oh, he's clearly an, an atheist or, yeah. you know, agnostic in some way. And then other times it seems like he does have some kind of, I would say at least he has some kind of spirituality. spirituality. Yeah, whatever right. you know yeah but I, whatever I feel like, framework you want to put that in i feel like this song is 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 almost like a like a way for non-religious people to deal with the death of a loved one you know it's like this is you know he doesn't mention anything about god or religion in here he does talk a little bit you know about space i mean the song is obviously mm. called light years um which we'll get to in a second but i mean i feel like 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 this is kind of like the agnostic or atheist like yeah. guidebook for like how to deal with your the death of somebody that you really truly loved and and how to get through the emotions of being like oh like uh, you know they were here and now they're gone like how do I how do I even begin to cope and I think Eddie Vedder is really telling you like you know um, like you said, we were but stones, your light made us stars. Like, yeah. think about it. Like they're and, gone, but it, it's, it's all it, good. And in kind of thinking of that too, um, you know, this kind of just dawned on me is like, he's possibly su just suggesting you can look down at the ground and keep your oh, head yeah. down and look at stones or, you know, look up to space and possibility and, and right. you know, lights and things that and that's exist, a choice. exist beyond you. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. the choice you're faced with. And you know, this situation. Yeah. So, so, so going back to the space thing. So obviously, I mean, uh, the, the song is called light years, which is a, a, a reference, a space reference, but the album cover itself is actually, uh, the pic, uh, a picture from the Hubble taste telescope of two galaxies that are, uh, that are merging together in a nebula, um, that create this like figure eight, uh, or infinity symbol kind of thing. Um, you know, yeah, I think, I think I, an hourglass nebula. Yeah, hourglass I think is nebula what it, is what they refer to it as. So, so, so you have uh, all the, all the tracks on the album are you know uh, don't reference space except for this one. So you know the album cover and then this song depicting this you know the space imagery and everything. It kind of makes you think that these these you know this is an important song. Like yeah. this is an important song to this record. It's an important song to the band. And um and I, I couldn't help but but think about uh, about Carl Sagan when we were when you know I was listening to the song we were talking mm. about this episode. Um, you know, uh, w one of Carl Sagan's most famous things is is the "We Are Star" stuff. The idea that all of life on Earth, and in fact, in, in the entirety of the Earth itself, is simply 
the parts of stars that have blown up and become stardust and then come together as new elements and creating new life. So in essence, like Carl Sagan says, we are all star stuff. We are all made of stars. And when we die, we're not going away. We're going back to where we're from. We're going back into, into the stars. And I wonder if like Eddie Vedder, like, thought about that or read about that or something and, and started to come up with, with, with this. And maybe this is all like kind of a reference to that mm. concept of once again, like, yeah, we're dying. We're, we're our time on, on this earth is finite, but you know what? Like we're all going back up to space when we're done, you know, and, it and, and cherish that and, and be positive about that. And, uh, I think that just ties into like how this song just melancholy, but, but still positive, you know? Yep. And I think also just in terms of, you know, thinking about the light years and, and thinking about space, you know, thinking about the scale of things where, yeah, tying it back into life where it's like, you know, from, you know, your your perspective on Earth, looking at your everyday life, things might seem a certain way to you. But as you kind of pull yourself back, you know, what X amount of light years, you know, looking at your life can kind of lead you to some different conclusions about you know, where you actually are or where you think you are. And that's another thing that I think that that light years phrase kind of really refers to. Yeah. Um, and, and I think some of the members have kind of talked about that as um, kind of something to think about is, is perspective and scale where, yeah. you know, things that seem huge are actually, you know, potentially small and insignificant. And, and I, again, I, I, I think this is, yeah, kind of a roadmap for, for how to live it's like you get you can keep your head down and you know look at the look at the stones or you know keep your head up look at the stars So obviously, like we mentioned at the top of the episode, I, I you know, I am a casual Pearl Jam listener. I, I, I only somewhat into what they do. I mean, I have, I have all their records and I enjoy listening to them, but you know, you are Pearl Jam fan number one, as far as I know. <laughs> like, I mean, there's, I haven't met anyone else who likes Pearl Jam more than you and is, is dedicated to them. So, so, so tell me a little bit about like what, what kind of personal connection do you have to this particular song? Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I think for this song in particular, you know, a song about, you know, death and losing people around you. Um, you know, I think of one of my close friends throughout, high school and college um ryan who at the time died in what i i now know is not an unusual circumstance with the opioid crisis going on um this was kind of early on um in, in kind of my understanding that this was kind of something that was happening in this epidemic that was you know c coming around um so I, I i often think of that and in terms of um light years I find myself kind of thinking of, oh, it's weird where I am now looking at, you know, where things were with him, all these things that, you know, this person won't see. Um, but then thinking about, you know, how how light works, basically, like in space, where if you were to, you know, fly out further, you know, could you see something happening on Earth like in the past based right. on yeah, the you, way the space time yeah, yeah. works. And yeah. um, so, you know, maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm like overcomplicating um, the point, but I, I, I do think of that. 
Um, and again, it's just a little bit of loss of just like, oh, it's weird how this person to me will always kind of stay the same age yeah. and, and, and that image I have. And like as I get older and as things in my life change, you know, I, I do think about, you know, those light years, that time differential that you know it continues to happen where you know my life continues to move forward and this other person yeah you know is no longer here um and i mean there's been other you know close people that i've lost that you know i i constantly think of that um you know my cousin died in a car accident um last year and so you know when i hear that song i i think about him a lot as well um so yeah i i think a, a little bit about kind of where where am i at right now um in relation to kind of you know where these people were um you know what were the possibilities for their future um and you know where am i at now and how have i been affected by you know those lives that have you know touched me in a variety of, of ways i think uh, yeah i think that's incredible like this is that's really incredible that you can create that kind of like connection to to a song like this and have it help you you know have have it give you perspective and mm. help you get through it and it's it's a shame you know um that there's not more songs like this regarding death. You know, I feel like there's a million songs about, you know, relationships and love and breakups and how to get through your, and navigate your, your romantic life, you know, but when it comes to death, I feel like there's very little that, you know, you can really attach to on, on a scale, like what you, we can just, just what we've talked about with this one particular song with, with light years. Um, it's, it's really great that, that, that that's there, you know, it's really great that, that, um, that the band and, and Eddie Vedder in particular with the lyrics, like really put this out there for people. And, and I think that, you know, it's important. I think that, I think that people skipping over this song or, or not really paying much attention to, uh, to it in relation to Pearl Jam's, the rest of their catalog. I think that they're, they're doing themselves a disservice by, by not having that connection, not having the ability. Cause you know, everybody, everybody's going to have a loved one that's going to yeah. die. It's going to happen. You know, like, um, it's, 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 and something like this could help you get through it. Something like this could really help you sink your teeth into it, you know? And I feel like with a song like this, and I, I could be wrong, but, um, you know, cause I, don't have that connection that you have with, with both your cousin and, and your friend uh, dying. But, um, you know, I feel like I could listen to this song thinking about the death of a loved one and not get sad. Like mm, I, it, yeah. this song wouldn't bring me to tears thinking about the death of someone close to me. Um, but I would still think about it, but not come away with it being sad. Yeah. Um, and yeah. 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 And, and I think lyrically um, one of kind of the things that, that resonates most with me is um these couple of lines I've understood feelings and I've understood words, but how could you be taken away where he's almost telling you you're, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to figure out the reasons why there might be, you know, some, some signs or some reason, or it might be something, you know, like in the case of my cousin, just, you know, who would have guessed like some kind of car crash. Um, and, and I think that he's kind of trying to help you like, don't go down this rabbit hole of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, why and, you know, beating yourself up over, um, you know, those reasons instead, you know, you, you do move forward. Um, and yeah, that's why I think is like so powerful about this song. As you mentioned, it's not entirely sad. It's, it's, yes, it's a sad thing, but you know, we do need to celebrate life and unfortunately, or fortunately a convenient time to do that is, you know, when someone dies and when we're kind of, 
thinking about those topics and, and when it's on our minds. Thank you for joining us again on this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Please visit our YouTube page where we're going to feature performances of the songs we discuss on these episodes. And you can also find our blog online. Yes, if you head to skippedonshuffle.com, you can read our blog uh, about um, all sorts of different musical artists that we are discussing uh, in these episodes. You can also uh, head there to link up to our social media pages, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, Just simply head to skippedonshuffle.com to connect.